we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, April 29th, 1981. It's late evening and 55-year-old Germain Zerome and his 52-year-old partner, Julien Besset, are retiring for bed. There's a knock at the door of their modest Brassard bungalow located in the suburbs along the south shore of Montreal. A young woman identifies herself as a surveyor for Quebec funeral homes. Jerome works as the director general for a chain of funeral parlors. Can she come in? There's a second version of this story where she comes to the door only asking for a glass of water, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. It's... 11 o'clock at night. Julian Bessette leaves the woman and Jerome alone in the living room and heads to the bathroom. Jerome apparently offers her a glass of water. Then, shots are fired. Bessette emerges from the bathroom to discover Jerome slumped in a chair. He narrowly escapes being shot himself by throwing a chair at the woman who begins shooting at him. She then shoots their German shepherd, Santa, in the ass before escaping into the night. Germaine Jerome died an hour later at the local hospital from the two twenty-two caliber bullets in his back. Bissette, a television actor best known for playing a priest on the soap opera Terre Humaine suffered a cut to his forehead from splintered wood that shattered when the bullet hit the chair. I opened the door for that woman, if you can call her that. I never saw her before. I don't know if Germaine knew her. Jerome and Bessette were described as good neighbors. Jerome had only recently begun work at the funeral parlor chain after being laid off from the shuttered and beloved department store Dupuis Frère. The woman was described as in her late teens or early 20s, about 100 pounds with short blonde hair. This is who killed Teresa. Why was Germain de Rome, a soft-spoken funeral home director, gunned down in the Broussard home he shared with a well-known Quebec actor? Bissette took a lie detector test, 
which cleared him of any suspicion in the murder. For two decades, this case went cold. Then in the early 2000s, the police forces of Brassard and Langueil merged. On a whim, a low-level crime technician decided to submit the fingerprint from the water glass to the Sarté du Québec and RCMP, they having sophisticated uh, analysis software. Immediately, they got a match to a case dating back to 1974. In 2002, police arrested then 47-year-old Christine LePage, known to police for fraud and theft convictions around the island of Montreal. Police were hard-pressed to come up with a motive in this case, but they were pretty convinced that it uh, wasn't robbery. At the Longuet courthouse, LePage was charged with the first-degree murder of Jerome and uh, for plotting to commit murder with a long-deceased local hoodlum named Benoit Bellagion. At her arraignment, police disclosed the even more miraculous detail that LePage had already confessed to the murders through an elaborate Mr. Big Sting operation dubbed Projet Caluse. We'll get to the sting operation, but for the moment, let's just focus on those fingerprints. The, the Gazette described what happened this way. In 2000, a Brossard crime scene technician sent the fingerprints to the Sarté du Quebec on a whim. <laughs> on, a, on a whim? I mean, on a, on a whim? I mean, I'm, I'm not Columbo or anything, but I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that fingerprint analysis has been around for, you know, since the turn of the century. Um, that didn't need the merger of police forces to engage in some systematic process of evidence analysis. This, this technician, his name's uh, Denis Brunet, he only comes up with the idea when he happened to mention to some colleagues uh, that, that he had some free time and he could maybe examine evidence from old cold cases. To, to, to learn that police sat on evidence for nearly 20 years before engaging in one of the most fundamental foundations of police investigation is shocking, but uh, given who we're dealing with, it's not too surprising. But more on that later. So this Mr. Big sting operation, now I, 
I mean, I, Mr. Big, I know Mr. Big from, from Get Smart, the pilot episode there. Um, so you're Mr. Big. <laughs> uh, that's how I know Mr. Big. But Mr. Big is an entirely, entirely different thing when it comes to uh, Sergeant Renfrew and the Mounties. Um, we, we've talked before about Mr. Big operations. Uh, in in season 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 two episode nine, beasts of the forests. Uh, police got uh, Eric uh, Dodelin to confess to the murder of nine year old uh, Jalil Campo through a uh, Mister Big operation, and uh, basically they they go like this: uh, police, usually the RCMP, they uh, they create a made up criminal organization and then they convince a suspect to join it the the point is to build trust and get the suspect to confess to a crime usually a murder and usually one that is a, a cold case that they they've not achieved any movement on over over time the criminal gang manages to persuade the suspect to to divulge information about their criminal history, usually as a prerequisite for being accepted as a full member of the organization. Now, this is not unlike uh, tactics used by the Hells Angels uh, when you're when you join at the low level, but eventually get patched in higher level you're you're gonna have to uh, give them something give them some information uh, recently uh, um, by comparison a lot of you saw this play out in the HBO documentary the vow where the XI what is it NXI VM sex cult members they're coerced yeah, the, the young women are coerced into disclosing compromising information about themselves it's controversial because of the potential for false confessions and entrapment. And uh, the matter has come before the Supreme Court, Court, uh, Supreme Court of Canada. Um, uh, I think the, the earliest case was the Andy Rose case, um, in which uh, the, the, the tactic was questioned and... Um, Rose, the conviction was overturned. He was acquitted. However, in, in more recent, uh, uh, a more recent ruling, the 2014 uh, Dax Mack case, the, the conviction of Mack for murdering his roommate was upheld um, with the court concluding that the probative value of the Mack confession outweighed any prejudicial effect, adding that the undercover officer's in, in that case, displayed no abuse uh, of, of power. Turning now to the uh, Christine LePage case, and the following is based on some reporting from um, uh, George uh, Kalajuraikis. Kalajurai <laughs> George Kalajurakis with the Gazette and also uh, Paul Cherry. Sorry, George. In the, in the matter of Christine LePage, undercover officers from the RCMP uh, led her to believe she was being recruited for a high-powered criminal organization. Um, and the, the, the sting uh, started very simply. In 2002, LePage was, was struggling to make ends meet and working as a cook. 
uh, or so she said, at uh, Nortel Networks in Saint Laurent, and, and in kind of a kind of a reversal of the Jerome murder ruse, undercover police now visited LePage's home and pretended to be selling cosmetics. A female undercover officer left samples uh, with LePage, uh, Le, Le, Le along with a questionnaire asking her how she, how she liked the products. And for her efforts, LePage was entered into a sweepstakes contest with uh, the grand prize being an all expenses paid weekend uh, trip uh, at the Chateau Montebello Resort, which of course, uh, of course she won the sweepstakes. So in April, 2002, LePage travels to this resort, which is located on the uh, Ottawa River between Quebec and Ontario. It's halfway between Montreal and Ottawa. Um, and, you, you know, uh, they're schmoozing and after gaining confidence of several cosmetic sales associates, um, LePage eventually confesses that she wasn't really a cook but in fact worked as a prostitute for a Montreal escort agency. Um, and LePage is alleged to have stated that she would do anything for money. The seduction started slowly with LePage doing uh, money drops and collections for the crime, this, this organized crime unit around Montreal. Uh, she moved up um, um, when she did what she thought was a, a stolen jewelry pickup in Vancouver for which she was paid $50,000. Um, and if you know anything about the Mr. Big operations, they always seem to involve uh, a trip to BC. That seems to be always kind of... <laughs> stop along the way in the progression of these operations. One time, uh, LePage traveled with uh, what she thought her partner. It was obviously, it's a fellow or a, an undercover police officer. So she travels to this motel in St. Catherine uh, across the St. Lawrence uh, River from Montreal to this real shithole uh, motel outside Kanawake. To, like, to collect money from a uh, what she thought was a biker, the um, the RCMP had had a un undercover officer all tricked out in in the full regalia on a Harley Davidson and everything. And um, while LePage waited outside uh, the motel room, um, her partner going inside, police staged this scuffle inside the room with plates flying and punches thrown and eventually like the, the the front window of the the motel room is shattered in full view of LePage and her partner then emerges uh, from this room saying that he he got his money so so full staging right all choreographed all of which LePage, apparently thought was very, very exciting, and she bought. So this, this operation, uh, which we said earlier was dubbed, uh, was a projet, project collusion is the translation. Um, so it culminates um, when off these officers posing as crime bosses, they staged this really tony cocktail party at the downtown Montreal Delta Marriott Hotel, where a big boss, and there's always a big boss, and in this case, he's dubbed Dan, Big Boss Dan. Big Boss Dan. <laughs> we're gonna take you to meet Big Boss Dan. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, um, so this guy, you know, there's, there's, they're at the downtown Marriott, and, uh, 
He pretends to be intrigued by LePage, um, but uh, who's, I believe, 47 years old at the time. He's intrigued by LePage, but uh, needs to know more about her before making the full decision to, to trust her further and bring her you know, into the entourage. So, um, eager to accept the offer into the outfit, Christine LePage, um, this is about a month later in another hotel room in Montreal, I think, believe in the, in the Continental, which is bugged, it's mic'd, um, I believe there's a video recorder hidden in the room and everything. She confesses to the murder of Germain Jerome. And she discloses that she had received a contract and murder weapon from her then boyfriend, this guy, Benoit Bellargion. And Bellargion paid her for the contract on Jerome but did not tell her why Jerome had been marked for a contract killing, which is kind of bizarre. This funeral parlor worker is, is subject to a hit. Police arrest uh, LaPage on the spot and, and charge her with first-degree murder. court proceedings, uh, the defense attorney, Gilles uh, Dordelin, he's, he's, having, he's having none of it. He's arguing that the, the sting operation amounted to provocation and entrapment. He notes that the RCMP had spent thousands of dollars on fine wines, these hotel suites, uh, um, conference rooms, uh, all of this, elaborate costumes to trick a woman who had, for the most part, been living as a law-abiding citizen for over two decades, at a point. While uh, awaiting trial, Christine LePage, um, who from, from all appearances, right, had, had been a contract killer, um, despite the defense attorney. Um, so while she's awaiting trial, she's granted bail with Justice uh, Lise uh, Cote ruling that she posed no threat to society. So from about 2002 to 2005, she's free. The trial, which commenced finally in 2005, uh, led to even more troubling information uh, in the case of the police. On the witness stand, uh, Denis Brunet, the technician who had submitted that fingerprint sample to the RCMP, he reveals that, in fact, fingerprint samples had been submitted earlier. Uh, so 2000 wasn't the first time both in, um, you know, in the wake of the murder in 1981 and in the following year in 1982, um, and then subsequently every year thereafter, every, every four months thereafter. 
but um, but that the SQ and the RCMP failed to make a match. So the, the RCMP later disclosed to him um, that um, in error, they had only checked the fingerprint database for men, even though Brunet explicitly has stated that the suspect in the case, the woman, was a, was a woman. This woman fleed the Jerome home after touching a water glass. Blonde woman that it was that it was emphatically a woman, and it wasn't until 1994 that the RCMP eventually merged their male and female fingerprint databases. Now, now you may say, what does it matter? Uh, police eventually caught her. So I would point out that. Um, that had the police actually made the match when they were fully equipped to do so in the 1980s, uh, that there would have been no need to spend thousands of taxpayer dollars on this elaborate sting operation. You, you would have avoided the entire controversy over uh, question, you know, the the questionable nature of these type of um, operations, which did threaten to throw the, the case in jeopardy. Um, and further, that the only witness, uh, the only person to witness the crime, uh, Jerome's partner, Julien Bizet, would have been able to make a positive ID of LePage. Now, the problem is by the time this moved to trial in the 2000s, Bisset had already died uh, of throat cancer in 1999. So there were no witnesses. Hey, Tom, I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season and Walmart gives flu shots. Yes, flu season is here and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one Best Network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. In the RCMP taped confession played at trial, LePage stated that she did not know the victim, Jerome. She didn't even know his name. I didn't want to know his name or anything about him. I just needed to know enough to do my job. And you know, sure sounds like a contract killer to me. Uh, she went on to state that she, she couldn't recall a motive. Usually if a contract is out on someone, it's deserved. She further went on to state that Jerome offered her a glass of water and here her version of events slightly differ from uh, Bissette's uh, version of the story um, from from his account in the uh, 1980s in in, uh, in LaPage's version I went into the bathroom so it's her that goes to the bathroom I put on gloves came out and shot him twice. I didn't know someone else was there. I shot at him once, then left. Now her boyfriend, uh, Benoit Bellagion, was waiting for her outside. So they drive off. She says she threw the 22 caliber pistol in the St. Lawrence River. 
and they made their way back to Montreal. Once home, she discarded all of her clothing and burned them, including a blonde wig she had been wearing when she went to Brassard. So that's, that's the account um, she gave in the confession um, to undercover police when she was in the uh, Continental Hotel room. When Christine LePage took the stand in her defense at trial, she told a different version. She admitted having been at the funeral director's home the night uh, he was murdered, but uh, not for the reasons presented by the prosecution. Instead, LePage stated that she had been hired by Germaine Jerome, um, who um, seemed to be in a stable relationship with his partner. Um, she was hired as an escort and had been paid to have sex with him. Uh, LePage went on to say that she did two clients that night. It had been to Jerome's house before, so she was a repeat. Uh, he was a repeat customer. After offered a glass of water, she says that uh, Julien Besset entered the room, which uh, surprise seemed to surprise Jerome, who apparently did not know he was home. In in LaPage's version, an argument ensued between the two men, and LaPage stated that she quickly left. The implication being that it was actually Bessette that shot his partner, uh, with uh, Bessette conveniently no longer alive to share his version of events. When asked why, nearly 20 years later, she would confess to a murder, she said that she feared for her life and thought that the group of RCMP agents posing as a criminal organization would kill her if she didn't give up a compromising story. On March 10th, 2005, the jury found 49-year-old Christine LaPage guilty of the 1981 murder of Germaine Jerome. Justice Claude DeCary handed down an automatic life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years, as is done in Canada. LaPage's lawyer, Claude Olivier, said he intended to file an appeal largely based on the evidence gathered through the Mr. Big Sting operation. Indeed, the case became one more argument for the abolishment of the controversial RCMP tactic. But then, in 2019, a surprise. At a parole board hearing to determine if she should be granted escorted uh, leaves from prison, Christine LePage admitted that her statements to police in the undercover police operation were not false statements, but the truth. She did, in fact, carry out the murder-for-hire of 56-year-old Germain Jerome. 
The decision registry states that she told the parole board that influenced by your spouse at the time, you decided to help him in his crimes. You have said that the crimes weren't committed for money, even though you received $10,000 after the fact. You have said you ignored your values, notably because of your drug use at the time of the murder. LePage went on to state that she had suffered abuse as a young girl that later generated, quote, murder fantasies when she was an adult. The parole board noted that recent years have been marked by a change in your openness towards your crimes after initially maintaining your denial at the start of your incarceration. Christine LePage will be eligible for full parole in 2030. shouldn't feel sympathy for Christine LePage. I, I doubt I would have empathy for a man in a similar circumstance, uh, abused as a child, under financial and emotional strains and stressors, but I feel some sympathy for Christine LePage. I, I I never knew this, but the the term chercher la femme uh, comes from the French novelist Alexandre Dumas, and in 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 film noir, in detective fiction, it's generally used to imply that whenever there's a problem, somehow some way a woman is to blame uh, <laughs> apologies it just scared the ever-living shit out of myself um thought i heard someone in the house in an empty house uh, it, was, <laughs> it was the roomba <laughs> doing its job upstairs uh little on edge Okay, Christine LePage. What what was what here's the, the the kicker, the big thing here um that nobody knows. Uh no one will ever know. What was the motive for the contract killing? LePage says she never knew. And the one person who might know, her boyfriend slash spouse, Benoit. Bellagion died of a cocaine overdose in the 1990s. So he took it to his grave. LePage stated that uh, if a contract is out on someone, it's deserved. Still, who would put a contract on a middle-aged funeral home director? 
If I were to venture a guess, I'd say it's, it's debts, perhaps financial stress. Uh, Jerome had been uh, let go from Dupuis Frère. Um, Dupuis Frère was a big department store chain in Montreal, um, uh, just as much beloved uh, by the Montreal French as uh, Eaton's department store was by the English. Um, so uh, he's he's laid off. He loses his job with uh, Dupuis Frère. Um, perhaps he incurred debts while uh, unemployed before he eventually found employment with as a as a funeral director. And for for a while, I I, I confused. Uh, LePage's partner with a man with the same name, another Benoit Bellargion, who was was a a trainer at the Hippodrome, the uh, Blue Bonnet uh, horse racing track along De Carey in Montreal. Uh, so you begin to think, well, you know, was it gambling debts? Of course, it wasn't the same guy, but I mean, who knows? Did, uh, did, who knows about someone's other life? Yeah. The image in my head, the impression in my head is this mild-mannered, middle-aged guy, you know, uh, in a relationship with this uh, actor throughout the old Canada, um, probably had been together for years and years and years. Did he have this other life? Did uh, Germain de Rome have gambling debts? This is who killed Teresa. You know, if if I may, and uh, and I do may, um, I don't think I'm done. Uh, you know, I, I got up this morning, uh, and I wrote this song, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I wrote this, this episode. Um, I had the scaffolding of what, what we were going to do. I mean, I knew it was a story about a, like a woman hitman. Uh, I knew the, you know, the, the punchline, but um, I didn't really know the mechanics of the whole thing. I'd read the 2019 article. I hadn't read the 30 or 40 articles before that. And so that's what I did early this morning. Um, so I was kind of flying blindly, knowing I had to get something out, uh, but wasn't quite sure what this story would lead. But I knew I had, I had faith, I had blind faith that uh, you know, as safe as eggs, uh, uh, that, that somewhere along the line, the investigative MacGuffin would present itself where a police agency screwed up. Uh, you know, I didn't know where it was coming, but I, you knew it was it, it was going to happen. And the first hint came right early on, with um, you know when you're talking about the the amalgamations of two agencies of uh, Longay and Brassard, you go, oh, okay, I got a tremor there. Uh, and then the involvement of the uh, Sarté du Québec and the RCMP. So now we have four agencies. So I had a pretty good idea that whatever it was going to be, it would have something to do with something slipping through the, the cracks. And I wasn't disappointed because halfway through, there it was, the whole fingerprint fiasco. But this time, hey, there's a surprise. It was the RCMP. Um, with the investigative uh, failure. Our old friends, the RCMP, um, you know, we haven't forgotten, you know. It didn't, uh, doesn't take a case of uh, uh, hyperthymesia for me to remember uh, Alan Hertubis and uh, the cock-up uh, they were involved with there um, from, uh, you know, from the E-Division in British Columbia all the way to the massacre in Nova Scotia. 
they are bad. They are nationwide from Bonavista to Vancouver Island. And, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about the frontline force. I'm not talking about the officers. Uh, I'm talking about the brass with the RCMP. And anytime their failings are exposed, they hide behind, you know, well, four officers, four of our bravest fell in Alberta or all that shit. They duck and cover behind the brass. And, but I don't know, I, I hope they don't go to sleep at night patting themselves on the back for the great job they do because they don't. Not by my book. And uh, I couldn't bring myself to do an episode so soon about the Nova Scotia massacre that occurred last winter because I'm just too livid about it. And I think people know my feelings on... Uh, on these public inquiries. However, in this case, I think it's warranted uh, because uh, they're not the only ones. The, the, the RCMP get too many black eyes and the problem is at the top, as it always is, and people suffer. Just last week, there was uh, an incident uh, on the south shore of Montreal, in the Chateauguay region, I believe, where the, the woman uh, mailed the ricin to the White House. And, uh, you know, they made a big deal of tracking her down in 24 hours. It couldn't have been that hard since she left a return address, apparently, on the envelope. And uh, so this was an RCMP case, right? And uh, as they always do, they put on a big show. They... Uh, you know, they pulled out the tactical vehicles and uh, did the whole uh, Hurt Locker routine. You know, the SWAT team and all that big show. And all, of course, all the cameras turn on them as they do. In the meantime, for the last six months in the, uh, in the COVID era, uh, young women and girls have gone missing off the streets in Quebec uh, one by one. Uh, by my count, about 30 or 40. So, uh, you know, what is that? like uh, five to ten a month in uh, in areas like Longueuil, uh, uh, Saint-Jérôme, Saint-Philippe-de-Niri, uh, Val-d'Or, Laval, La Prairie, Montreal, Granby, um, Shawinigan, Magog, uh, and no one pays any attention to that because uh, you can sure should believe that, um, you know, Someone who was uh, deployed, and that was their responsibility to look into those matters, has now been redeployed, and they're they're, they're on the the COVID tactical team or whatever with the Sarté de Quebec. Um, uh, and so, well, uh, you know, while the cat's away. Uh, meanwhile, we have yet another wave of missing uh, and probably uh, murdered women and girls in uh, in Quebec. A problem that won't go away. <clears throat> some uh, some housekeeping. Um, if you like this episode, uh, please, uh, I would thank you for uh, reviewing briefly and rating us on uh, iTunes, since most of you seem to listen on iTunes and uh, on your on your iPhones which is an interesting phenomenon. Give us a review. Um, if you want more information, there is a website, theresalore.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E, plank.com. That's the conduit for everything else. From there, you can find the Facebook page for the podcast. You can find the Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Teresa Allure. My personal Twitter is uh, at JusticeGuy, J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y. We're somewhere on Instagram. Um, uh, I have a newly published book out. So I'm going to hack it. It's called Wish You Were Here. Um, it's about a series of unsolved murders in Canada in the 1970s, uh, the most obvious of which is the murder 
of my sister, Teresa Lore, hence the name Who Killed Teresa. Um, and you can pick that up. Uh, there's some confusion out there about its availability. I'll tell you this. It is currently published in Canada um, in paper form. There's an audio book. There's a, a digital slash Kindle version, all three formats you can get it, published in Canada. Um, however, it is available everywhere if you just kind of know how to maneuver and manipulate platforms. Um, if you created an Amazon Canadian account, it's just instead of uh, Amazon point UK or point com, it's point CA, point CA. And if you create it there, you can very um, easily download the Kindle version or the Audible version, I think, is everywhere. So, I, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of a borderless medium right now. Obviously, if you, if you want paper, uh, it's going to cost you shipping. But the last I checked on Amazon.com, the American version, shipping uh, to the United States is uh, five bucks. So although it has not officially been published in the United States, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. So you can pick up that, that book. Um, related to the book, there's going to be some uh, appearances coming up. Um, uh, October 15th, we're going to do a Zoom event at uh, Owl's Nest Books in Calgary. And I believe the 27th, I'm going to be at uh, Podcast Movement. Uh, virtually, wherever they are. And then in 2021, in June, which has just been announced, I'm going to be on Podcast Row, as well as um, uh, speaking at uh, CrimeCon UK. It's June, I believe, 12th and 13th, if all things hold, right? I mean, I'm not booking my ticket just yet, obviously. But if all things hold, I'd love to come to the... I'd absolutely love to come to uh, the UK, to London, and uh, meet listeners um, uh, across the pond. would be a whole whole lot of fun. Uh, I think 10% of my listeners are from the UK. So thank you. Thanks, UK. I really appreciate it. So there's that. Um, the details on all of that stuff, you know, the links for the virtual stuff, uh, you can, as I say, you can find through the website, teresalore.com. So there's that. You know, I just got paid. Um, <laughs> I just got paid my advance for the book, a book that was released last week. My advance, I just, I, I woke up yesterday morning and had uh, uh, received the wire, um, <clears throat> which was a nice surprise, but that's how that works, right? You work your ass off and then uh, you, you finally get a, a pittance in the, in the, in the, you know, in your bank account, which is good. It's great. I like it. Um, let's see what else. Uh, probably have a Halloween episode coming up. Most definitely, most definitely, most definitely, gonna have a Halloween episode coming up in October, which is exciting. I probably will not be um, podcasting about the book until at least the new year. Uh, no point in um, deconstructing chapters until um, there's a critical mass of people who have read it. So uh, uh, for the foreseeable future, the, um, the game plan is to continue stories like this one with um, about uh, Christine LePage. I love this story. I, I, I love it. I've been sitting on it for a little little while. Um, uh, my writing partner for Wish You Were Here, Patricia Pearson, her first, um, her first book, uh, is a, is a fabulous book called When She Was Bad about, um, women killers. And, uh, she recently, uh, updated the, there's a new edition of it coming out with, I think, either a new forward or a new afterwards. Um, I offered her this story, but, um, she had already been far enough along where she refused. So I said, well, fuck it. I'll do it. Um, um, come on, a woman contract killer? What's better than that? Um, 
That's all I got to say on this beautiful afternoon. Beautiful afternoon. This has been Who Killed Teresa? I'm your host, John Allure. Have yourselves a great, great day. Ugly to keep beauty intact. I can see through your buttons, but now it must be
Hate crimes are dangerous and insidious, but you have the power to help stop them. If you witness or experience a hate crime, a criminal offense motivated by race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, or other characteristics, you can report it to the FBI, who is committed to protecting communities and supporting victims. Submit a tip at 800-CALL-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. The FBI is here to help. Protecting our communities together. Report hate crimes. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.